Hi and welcome everyone to the 48th episode of Serum Rocks. This is Marcus Alanson and today's podcast will be about SOAP to Web API. And with me today I have Jason Latimer. Jason is a fourth time MVP, maker of several CRM utilities, developer tools like the CRM REST Builder and development manager at PowerObjects. Welcome, Jason. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, it's all good. Um, good time of year, it's still warm reasonably where I live. Can't complain. What's a good customer relationship for you? Uh, you know, with the comp- company I work for, we like to, you know, impact a lot of a lot of CRM users. I mean, particularly for me, I like to make sure that when we when we interact with our customers, we're, you know, not only giving them short-term value, but trying to trying to educate them and, you know, make sure that you know the the knowledge we can impart on them, they can use long-term, so they can you know become somewhat self-sufficient, and not just always rely on you know us as a partner to you know, do things for them. Who are your customers? The company I work for, Power Optics, we we service pretty much you know the very wide array of, of different customers, you know, all from you know smaller companies, you know, five or five or ten users, all the way up to you know enterprise level customers of you know thousands and thousands and thousands of users. So we've we've got pretty much everything from the full scale. So uh, what is it that you do? Um, well, as as my my role at Power Optics, I guess is. Uh, you know, kind of twofold. I, I do some some project work, so I'm actually getting my hands dirty and doing some development uh, on projects. Um, but as a whole, I try to lead some of the effort to lead some of that like internal like education efforts for the developers, um, trying to kind of you know help along with enforcing like standards and best practices. Um, you know, making sure people are doing things efficiently and you know, helping with issue resolution, you know, is re- really you know, being there for, for the developers and, you know, trying to hopefully make their make their lives easier. So how do you approach this transition from SOAP and the 2011 endpoint to this web API endpoint? Well, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of factors to kind of take into account. Um, in most cases, I start out with right away, I mean, We've had a couple different iterations of Web API now with with with, C, with CRM 2016. Um, you know, if you're not aware, uh, each each version so 8.0 was kind of the original release of CRM 2016 had its own version of Web API. Um, then the update one has another release of it. The update two that just released you know a few weeks ago or um, or otherwise known as Dynamics 365 has its own version because it's. Uh, the Web API endpoints are, are versioned now, so the RTM version was 8. the 8.0 endpoint, um, 8.1 and 8.2 respectively. Um, so, kind of one of the first things I look at, you know, is, is the functionality available in Web API? Because um, when it was first released in version 8, um, there was still a number of of messages uh, that were available in the SOAP endpoint that were just weren't available; they hadn't finished yet. Um, so slowly, as we've had a couple new updates to it, we've been gradually getting you know more of those missing messages um, supported right away. So most of the time, they've been you know so far they, they're the ones that are missing are fairly innocuous, but uh, uh, there was a couple important ones missing right away, like qualify lead, um, for example, was something we we'd kind of do a lot of um, you know inter- intercepting the lead qualification button on a form and and. Um, you know, not creating a contact, for example, when they press the button, um, was something we would do with JavaScript quite often, um, which is something we couldn't do with Web API right away when it was released. So, if if I myself then have a lot of C sharp code and I've I've developed this against the 2011 this old SOAP endpoint, then what do I do? Well, I mean, ideally, you know, if you've used this the uh, SDK assemblies um, for you know like a pl- you know plugin development or maybe if you wrote like a console application to do something um, you know the thought process here uh, you know what Microsoft's alluded to is that um, when they when they actually get get the web API endpoint you know quote unquote complete um, they will change the back end of those assemblies so they point at the new endpoint as opposed to the to the soap endpoint. 
So what that should mean is um, any existing applications you have, you should just be able to point them at the, the new assemblies, you know, recompile, you know, and knock on wood, everything should work fine. Um, you know, if that's if that happens, you know, that's, what we, that's what we're all hoping for because that's pretty much the least amount of effort for developers. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's still going to be some amount of effort. I mean, if you're you're you know a, cost, a customer, for example, and you don't have a developer on staff that doesn't know how to do this sort of thing, um, you know, there's still going to be some you know some costs involved, some effort involved in, in doing this. Although it's certainly a lot better than you know worrying about you know like the you know, a change in programming paradigm like we saw from CRM 4 to CRM 2011 where we actually had to rewrite code. So hopefully in this case, we won't have to actually rewrite code. It should be fairly transparent to the to the developer. So th that seems like a big promise because <laughs> if you look at it technically, it's a pretty big shift from this CRUD-focused and the organization request-focused SOAP to the more of, okay, we have this HTTP verbs, get, post, and, and things like that, that you do on the web API side. So so do, you, do they suggest that we merely just look up the new SDK DLLs then, compile to do these and look up the new URL to the whatever that web API endpoint will be and just go. Should, I mean, it shouldn't even be that much effort. It should, you know, realistically only be, you know, you have your existing code, which, you know, uses the organization service and, you know, it uses all the message-based, uh, you know, requests and responses that we have today. But the, but the idea here is that it should just be a matter of the, you know, in the background and, you know, the, the DLLs, the SDK should all should handle that all for us. Again, like you said, is a little bit of a tall order. You know, it kind of changes the the paradigm. It's not really, you know, the, the organization service endpoint we're really pointing at anymore. Um, so that maybe looks a little bit weird in the in the code changes um, to actually point at the the web API endpoint. Um, but I guess there's no reason maybe they couldn't redirect the underlying code of those assemblies to to instead just translate that back to the web API endpoint and and kind of auto magically take care of it for us. Um, so we don't really have to, so we really don't have to change code is is you know the ideal what we can really hope for is we don't have to change code if we just have to recompile with the new assemblies. You know it's fairly it's a fairly you know hopefully minor change. You can just update the references in the project, recompile and redeploy and you know and test at that point. Okay, so would you say that this is feasible then, that they could be done? I think it can be done. Um, I, I suspect, though, that, you know, there might be some nuances that people will still have to change. Like I said, you know, does it, what does it look like in the code if we're still referencing an organ, the organization service? You know, it's not really looking at that in, in reality. So maybe, no. some, so maybe that... Maybe there will be some cone changes. Maybe the the connection, you know, the object we're connecting to changes, but the codes, you know, they essentially, you know, message structure still fairly looks the same. We you know, we create a you know qualify a lead request and give it the parameters and execute it. I think that's all feasible. I think that that's doable. But I don't. I think in the end there'll probably be just a little bit more work than just simply recompiling and deploying again. If I'm looking to to migrate to to new stuff, then what am I looking at for for a C sharp world? Uh, if I develop new stuff or migrating, what what should I think about? I think at at this point, if you're if you're just writing if you're writing things like plugins, you know, plugins, custom workflow assemblies, you know, anything that you can still get away with using the SDK assemblies for. I think you continue on doing what you're doing because um, we have to kind of take the lead Microsoft's given us and, and just hope that um, when they change these assemblies over, you know, the, the amount of work we'll have to do to get them compliant with, you know, whenever this happens, the, when they actually switch off the SOAP endpoint, that we, we just hope that the effort involved is fairly minimal because um, really we haven't gotten any other direction um, besides that. 
and certainly you could you certainly you could roll your own HTTP requests, um, and, you know, in, in C sharp and do that. But uh, at this point, I don't think we have any real need to do that. I mean, if we look for just plugins and workflow F assemblies, are we really sure what the underlying protocol is? Because we're on in the pipeline already, and we have this DLLs, and we're already in the sort of the server side and we're just executing in something else and what we really know is that we have an organization service and what's underneath that is yeah that's up to the product right. to exactly. handle so if that is soap or it's web api perhaps we don't know or we don't we don't or, care <laughs> hopefully we don't care right exactly and i, I think they've i think microsoft's kind of you know, somewhat learned from, you know, like the transition from four to 2011, where, you know, there was, you know, massive code rewrites that had to be done, you know, across the board. And that's not really something that, you know, people were, you know, too fond of in quite in reality. Um, you know, you know, we've still got plenty of customers on, on CRM 2011. And we've still got plenty of those customers that still have, you know, CRM four code, um, that happens to be running in their 2011 environment that hasn't been that hasn't been migrated yet just because you know and this is kind of one of the one of the blockers um of, of getting of getting some customers upgraded to a newer version is you know so all this these massive amounts of customizations they did um you know people cut and paste things off the internet and you know back five years ago in the 2011 era um you know it wasn't uncommon to go on the internet and you know, Google some some JavaScript and see some CRM four code, and they paste it in their 2011 environment, and it would work. And you know, life was good. But you know, now in, in hindsight, uh, you know, some of that older code floating around probably ended up, you know, hindering a lot of upgrades. I think. So if we try to to work with just, I have this console up that does help me with my custom thingy that I have developed then. So I'm pointing to the old CRM 2011 or I want to develop a new one. Should I just, then that case, still just go with the SDK and just hope for it? I, I think that's, at the, at this point, if you're doing dot .network, that's the best approach. I think the, the story definitely changes if you're, you know, doing work outside of the dot .net space. I mean, that's, that is one of the beauties of, you know, a RESTful-based web service is it's really, you know, it's, it's easy to consume from, you know, any platform. So, you know, if you have Java or PHP or Python or, you know, any of these languages that can just, you know, make an HTTP request, you're really capable of talking to to the, the web API endpoint now. So, I mean, I mean, theoretically, you could, you could do it, you know, I, I've written Java code to talk to the CRM 2011 endpoint and it worked and I mean I've written code to write talk to the, the soap endpoint as well but it's it's quite ugly and you know I'm not really sure how, exactly how reliable it is but you know technically it worked um, the idea here is if you're doing you know again stuff outside of .NET um, you know you should just start using web API at this point because you know it's that's that's going to be the standard for the next five to ten years more than likely at this point so that, that's what you should do Okay, so if I'm looking at a, a new form script or, or something like that and I want to do some some new development outside the C-sharp world, well, how do I go about it? Where can I find out what's, what's available? Um, if, you're, if you're doing, you know, specifically talking, you know, form scripting, you know, going a little bit further and doing like kind of the more advanced, you know, you know re requesting data, you know, CRUD actions, um, talking to data. At this point, you know, really, you sh if you're using, if you're on 2016, at least, um, you should, you should be using, using web API for that. Um, you know, assuming all the, you know, the, the message you're trying to, um, you know, it's not one of these obscure messages that aren't, aren't implemented yet, uh, which incidentally you can find there's actually a, if you, Go on to do a search for CRM Web API limitations. There's actually a there's a MSDN page dedicated to 
you know the current limit limitations of the endpoint and it it'll list the the messages that aren't implemented yet it, i think it's only a handful now like six or eight um that have yet to be implemented and there's some there's some nuances with the with the endpoint that maybe don't maybe the, the specific crm implementation doesn't necessarily implement all functionality of an odata version 4 um, endpoint so there's some things you can't do that you could do with the with odata 4 web api endpoint versus 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 crm's implementation so um, but more than likely you know in simple form scripting you're, you're not going to run into any of that stuff um, there are some things that you know do make it that some differences between, for example, like Web API and the, the 2011 REST endpoint that make, you know, the development paradigm a little bit different. Um, you know, you know, everything's still possible. It's just there, there's some cha some changes. Um, like for example, one thing I ran into. Um, so if you're retrieving, say, a collection of records, um, you know, kind of a retrieve multiple request, and you also want to return like child records say you were you want to retrieve accounts and then the tasks related to each of those accounts um in the 2011 version of the endpoint you were limited to 50 records um at a time in a result set so you could have your 50 accounts and then each one had 50 tasks and that's you know ultimately not too, too many records that you've returned um in web api now we've we've bumped that limit limit up to 5,000 records so now you could potentially return 5,000 accounts um, and then if you if it allowed you to return the individual collections of records, that would mean an additional 5,000 potential tasks for each of the 5,000 uh, accounts you oh. returned, and would, which would be 25 million records you could potentially return in, in a single request, which would be, well, should be bad if they let you do that. Um, so in which case, they, they don't let you do that, of course, because yeah. that would be terrible. Yeah, too much. So, I mean, ultimately it returns uh, this 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 URL to the specific result set for each child collection that you have to query individually. Um, so your code would look a little bit different, and you know, because I think most cases when you're dealing with you know JavaScript on forms, you're not you're not really thinking of you know dealing with huge record sets at any given point. So most people probably don't think beyond 50 records in most cases. They're just retrieving a couple of records, dealing with it in code, and then doing something else. But so if I would like to, to sort of just, okay, I want to retrieve some data to do some validation, just a simple get me some data, can I use this REST builder for that then? Yep, I mean, that's I mean, one of the reasons I, I built this so that my CRM REST builder tool, if you know, listeners aren't familiar with that, uh, uh, it's basically a, a code generation, JavaScript code generation for the 2011 and web API endpoints. So if you uh, provides you a, it's a managed solution that installs in your in your dev organi dev dev sandbox, um, and it'll read all the metadata for your org. Um, and then what it'll do is give you a UI to you know if you want to query a set of records or create a record or delete a record, um, it'll give you a UI to um, choose the entities and fields you want to query. Um, give you inputs for you know, if you want to create or update records. Um, and in the end, it'll it'll spit out the JavaScript code uh, that it takes to, to execute that. So so even if you're, you know, a fairly, you know, novice developer, um, this could allow you to do, you know, pretty complex things without necessarily having to to get too too far in the weeds and figure out how the, how the endpoints work and what the naming nomenclatures are and things like that. So it helped me with both the actual query string and to to get the data as well. Then, right. So I, you know, in things in terms of cases where you're just making a query, um, everything's you know effectively built into the URL, and you could you know cut and paste that into a browser as long as you're authenticated and execute it, and it would spit the spit the result back in the browser. Um, in, in terms of creating or updating records, it'll actually you know. Fill, give you the, the the you choose which fields you want to manage, uh, put in the data, and it'll actually create the the post object that needs to be sent along with the the request as well. So you can you know create or update records as as you see fit. If I'm looking from from try to go back here from JavaScript and and looking at an action, then say 
converting a lead because you had this as, as an example before. If I just have that in my JavaScript now then, and I'm using this SOAP endpoint for that, can I use your tool to generate this action then? Yes. Um, fairly recently, I just added in support for um, uh, executing custom actions and or system actions and functions. So really, the, the differentiation between an an action and a function is in Web API is uh, a function really just you know something like a a query almost. It just it just kind of works on the data. It doesn't really do anything to it. Or an action, you know, has some modification to the data. Um, so again, one of the one of the things that I've, I've built into the tool is it'll read um, all the, the list of actions supported by a specific version of the web API endpoint is is uh, published in a in a URL. So if you went to like your org slash API slash data slash you know v eight point two slash dollar sign metadata, um, it'll download this big definition of the all the messages and entities and everything supported by that version of the endpoint. Um, so what my tool does is it, it reads that data um, for the specific you know endpoint version you target. So it knows, you know, again, what version of the, the endpoint you're targeting. So because each one has different messages. Um, so which you know most of which are common to this, you know, all the platform level messages are common to everybody's system. Uh, but it also will take into account if you've defined custom actions, um, so it'll, it can read, you know, what that what that action is, what parameters are expected by that action. So when you select it in the tool, it will prompt you for, you know, the various parameters to execute any of those actions or functions. So you know, in cases of where you want to, you know, for example, qualify a lead, um, you could go to actions, qualify lead. It's going to prompt you for, you know, like the the lead ID. Um, you know, if you want to create an opportunity, do you want to create an account? Do you want to create a contact? Uh, I mean, there's a couple other parameters that go along with it. Um, so essentially, you can just plug the values in and hit the generate code button, and it will you know, spit out the JavaScript code um, to execute that. And then if you choose to, you can execute it and test it in the in the actual solution window itself, you know, um, just for, for you know, speed up testing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's that's good because the first step is, of course, does it work with my data that I have in my development environment and try to see if this, this thing that I thought I <laughs> was going to do actually does work. Yes, exactly. That's, I mean, that is kind of the crux of it sometimes. I mean, the Whatever you whatever you develop is only as good as the your assumptions you make when you're developing it. I mean, the same thing is true of like you know you write a plugin and you expect to, you know you retrieve some data for example and you expect a attribute or something to be there and it's not and then you're you know you, you think it's going to be there when you're writing the plugin but then when you actually go to deploy it and that something's not there then you know everything <laughs> everything goes awry really quickly. Yeah. So what does it sounds like you're developing this uh, CRM metadata utility for JavaScript then. Like I said, it, it reads the, reads the metadata out of your specific environments. That's that's really what I designed it for. I didn't want, you know, you know, because everybody's always got custom, you know, custom entities, custom actions, you know, you know, only put, directing it to the, you know, kind of base base functionality is really quite limiting. So that's the way I, I ended up building it, and I think it works. Yeah, it works quite well. And I mean, that's good for future versions as well, because if they add an entity or something like that, they will probably add it to the metadata. Exactly. And that's one of the things I, you know, I kind of, you know, as I was at, when I originally added web, web API um, several months back, I kind of didn't, you know, I guess I realized it, but didn't implement right away. For example, like the, you know, the, the differences in endpoint versions, you know, version 8.1 has more messages available than 8.2. I mean, whether it's their backfilling things that should have been there right away or again, new functionality, um, just one of those things where I had to add and making sure I, if you change the endpoint version, it needs to go through and actually refresh all the metadata that it, it gathered from that, uh, that metadata file I mentioned earlier, which is unfortunately quite time consuming to read. It actually, you know, takes a couple seconds of the, of churning in the browser for it to read through all that information and process it, but uh, but in the end, it, it gets you uh, 
you know, an accurate representation of what's in your organization. It's a lot faster than reading that file by, uh, just by hand, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure of that. Uh, so what did you use when you're getting data and you, okay, say you get something to do this validation, the, 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 the example that I had before. So you get something from account and then you do this, okay, I got the record dot. Okay, what's the attribute now again? Was it uppercase, lowercase? How, how, does, how do you work with that? That was, you know, it's almost kind of funny you know that you know you, we mentioned the, the naming you know structure of things um you know for those that you know aren't too familiar with you know kind of the history of the of everything the the 2011 version of the rest endpoint used schema names for everything which was you know ultimately a lot of times like a mixed case you know uh, prefix underscore you know then there'd be some mixed case name that would end up being referenced and I always found that terribly hard. I mean, field names in general can be hard to remember once you start getting, you know, outside of the kind of the, the core core set of fields like address and telephone number, um, let alone what you name some custom field. Um, and furthermore, you know, further, you know, exacerbated by the fact that, you know, we have the, you know, in, in CRM, we have three names for everything. We have a display name, we have a schema name, we have a logical name. Um, so always trying to remember, you know, which which name is actually used in, you know, that was in the 2011 APIs, and uh, so that's kind of one of the reasons I built the tool. Tool was, and I don't I don't have to actually go and remember what things are called. I could just pick from a list, and it'll it'll fill it out for me. We've advanced enough a little bit now with with web APIs. So everything is using the the logical name, which is which is the all lowercase name, which which helps considerably because now you don't have to worry about casing. Yeah, you just just have to know the know the uh, the name of the field, which is still a lot to keep track of. I think it was 2011 where there was like account number was a big letter A and then number big letter N. Yep. So that was like okay, uh, no account number isn't there. Okay, was it? Yeah, okay, that was the and it wasn't really helpful with the error messages it was just it doesn't exist okay right. <laughs> i know it's there it's just not the what capital you know it only gets worse when you thought when you think of think about like relationship names too you know if you think if you have a if you have a two custom entities you know one's called new underscore you know entity one and the other's called new underscore entity two and you create a relationship and, and the relationship name ends up like new new underscore new you know it, it just totally gets confusing after a while to yeah. remember have to remember that sort of thing and which one is first of the two exactly and which what even makes it i think further worse is the the customization screen um and crm where we actually you know create entities and look at the field names you know happens to be you know probably the slowest screen inside of crm so even if you do happen to keep that screen open you know to click through um, you know, click on an entity and have it, you know, sit and churn and then click on fields. You know, it's it's like 30 seconds to 40, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to figure out, you know, to get into a field sometimes. You know, and that's, you know, to me just, you know, drives me nuts having to sit and wait. I want to move faster than that personally. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if it was 2011 that was only showing schema names. And then we was working with logical names. So it didn't show up the case sensitivity part on the cust. I'm not sure, but it was something like that. Yep, yep. Um, one of the other things too that's the the one thing that um, Web AP or the 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 old 2011 REST endpoint kind of did good was the this notion of this kind of collection name. So we query, we use Web API to query accounts, for example. You know, we would put in our you know URL you know, API data endpoint slash accounts, you know, all lowercase in a web API, and that'll, you know, bring back all the account data. In, in 2011, we we did, you know, account set with a, with a capital S on the word set. Um, the, the, the one thing that I think I've seen a lot of people on the internet kind of get a little bit confused on with web API is it's, they think that it's always, you know, the kind of the, this pluralization of the the entity name when it's not always the case like if, if the entity ends in 
doesn't end in S, they just add an S to it, and that's the name. Or if it ends in, you know, Y, they add I E S or something like that, which that works most of the time. But if you actually, you know, kind of drill into the, the metadata inside a CRM, uh, there's if you look if you if you in the SDK there's a tool called the the metadata browser. You know, all developers should install that in their in their dev environments for sure. Um, but if you look in the entity properties, there's a on each on each entity there's a there's a property called the the entity set name, and typically that's you know kind of the plural name um, that's given. But in a lot of cases, you know, especially on kind of the, like intersect entities, um, you'll see it's they've got some there's some weird names in there that don't conform to any type of pattern. Um, so it's just kind of something to be aware of that, you know, the, 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 the name you're using in your URL for the entity isn't always, you know, just a, the, simply the plural name or some kind of easy pattern to figure out because it's not. Um, the, the real, you know, the only true way to really figure it out in every case is to look at the metadata, which, you know, if you're doing that in JavaScript, is quite, you know, dynamically on the fly, it's quite costly to create the metadata, but... Um, you know, if you're just hard coding something for, you know, an account lookup, you know, typically not something you have to worry about. Just just folks that are making tools that have to worry about kind of looking at that stuff on the fly. Yeah, people like you. <laughs> Indeed, I figured that one out the hard way. So if you're creating a custom entity and you happen to name it something in non-English, then then you definitely have to go there because the 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 pluralization can be a totally different in non-English than the actual set name then. Exactly. So you really have to be careful about what, what it ends up as. Yeah, good good call there. So if we are trying to look at what's new then, there's a whole bunch of things that are ending up in, in Dynamics 365. What are the news? Well, I mean, recently with the with the Web API endpoint, um, we got a couple couple new updates in in the latest version in 8.2 or, or Dynamics 365, as it's also known as. Um, you know, kind of one of the biggest ones for Web API specifically is we can now return um, return the record when we create it or update. Um, so again, for those who are familiar with 2011, if you created a record, it would return by default, and you didn't actually have any way around this, it would return by default the entire content of that new record, um, which, you know, in some cases could be useful if you needed to get, you know, get some value. Um, but in most cases, I would think you'd probably already know it if you created the record. Um, you know, maybe there's a plugin running or something on it, synchronous plugin that would, um, you know, affect that, that result set that might be different from your input. Um, so example for that might be that you're creating account and you want to know the new account number. Correct. If it, so it's like auto-generated or something, for example. Exactly. So in, in 2011, that was given, was provided out of, you know, just by default, that was the default behavior. Um, in the first two, in 8.0 and 8.1, we didn't have the option. So when we created a record or if we updated a record, there was effectively, there was no response body. Um, we got the ID of the new record, um, we could parse it out of the response header, but we didn't. We had no way to get the the actual, you know, entity data short of making another query, you know, based on that ID. But now we've we've implemented a, a, a header we can we can add into the request to uh, optionally return the entire record context again in a in a creator update situation. So that that again, so that's handy. If again, we don't. You know, obviously, we're trying to make the you know things that operate in the the web web space, and you know now that we get into mobile and things like that, trying to make things as performant as possible, so we can you know optionally get some of this data returned back to us right away without having to make another request. Uh, you know, that certainly certainly can help things out from a performance perspective. Um. So if we're trying to to look at the the news from the the mobile, there is there any news to this uh, web API from that point to, from that horizon? Um. They do actually have just recently implemented now being able to use web API in an offline mode, so it'll query kind of the offline the offline database that it's 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 storing. So that's uh. Um, some some interesting use cases there, you know. In general, with the SDK and, and mobile offline, and, and this last release, they've um, 
put in a lot more functionality of you know being able to create create offline records and modify offline records and query offline records from from you know the client JavaScript. Um, I don't think mobile offline is quite finished yet, but I, I think they're they're definitely making strides in the right direction. We've discussed here a couple of times about the the 2011, and and I'm not sure if if the listeners are following here because it can be quite difficult. I mean, first of all, there's two Serum 2011, both the SOAP that was the the first one that we began discussing about, and then they introduced the OData REST, but what do you call that old CRM2011 OData REST API endpoint and the new CRM2015 and 16 web API REST point? If you just tell someone, okay, I'm doing this OData REST, how do you know which one you're referring to of these 2011 and the newer one? In most cases, for me personally, when I'm talking to people, if I'm referring to the, to the, you know, in the in the context of a, you know, an OData request, I'm, if I'm referring to the 2011 endpoint, that you know, obviously means the, you know, the one that was introduced in CRM 2011. Um, you know, for me at this point, if I'm, re- if I'm referencing Web API, that's you know anything. I don't, I don't count the the pre-release in CRM 2015. Um, so effectively, if I'm saying Web API, that that means anything that's CRM 2016 version 8.0 or later, but it, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, kind of along those same lines. You know, we talk about all the different endpoints. You know, the, the 2011 endpoints, they, you know, the the re- both endpoints are technically listed as, as deprecated now. Um, so just, you know, again, if people aren't thinking change isn't coming, you know, Microsoft flagged them as both as deprecated, meaning at some point they're going to be replaced. Um, so they, I mean, they're definitely committed to using. You know, Web API is the new, you know, go-to only endpoint that's going to be in the product, you know, in the next couple of years. You know, could could be, you know, who know, we're not really sure when that's, you know, deprecation just means it's marked flagged for deletion effectively. That doesn't actually tell us, you know, what version it's actually going to go away in. So we shall see if that's, you know, version 9, version 10, version 11. We don't know yet. So that means that the 2011 SOAP endpoint is still there. Still there, but technically it is flagged as deprecated, along yeah. with the REST endpoint. So is the 2011 REST endpoint still there then? Yes, that's still there and functional, just as it as it as it always has been. But uh, again, we gotta we have to kind of expect that's going to drop off fairly soon, just because I think all the functionality now that we've we've you know, because the, the the functionality there was fairly limited to start with. I mean, it was good for most things, but it was still limited. Um, I think all that functionality really has it's been exposed in the Web API endpoints, though. At this point, you know, short of you know backward compatibility and thinking about upgrading code, there's really otherwise beyond that, there's really not any reason to keep it around anymore. I was a little surprised, honestly, when they when they said the SOAP endpoint was deprecated. Uh, I think that was. They announced that when version 8.1 was released, perhaps a little bit premature, but I think it's just kind of get everybody, um, you know, get everybody's attention that, that that things are changing for the, you know, hopefully for the better. I was actually really a little bit surprised that the 2011 REST endpoint is still there, even though it's been deprecated for for so long. I mean, it's easier to see that they're removing that one a lot earlier than the CRM 2011 SOAP endpoint because I I think there is more code developed against that endpoint. As you said, it's been around, around longer. You could do a lot more with that than you could do with the initial 2011 REST endpoint. Right. I mean, I think there, you know, you think about what happened in 4, you know, between, the, between CRM 4 and CRM 2011 and CRM 2013, um, you know, Microsoft was was probably quite generous, and they they gave us the whole version of CRM 2011, where we could still run CRM 4 code, or we could run, you know, the the, the code we're running today, you know, the 2011 and later code. So that was, you know, pretty pretty generous. You know, a couple of years of kind of side by side compatibility they allowed. Um, so we're kind of seeing the same thing. I think we're you know we're kind of in that grace period right now where we've got. You know, two versions running side by side, but at some point they need to, 
you know, they need to cut one of those out because um, you think of all the, the man hours they're probably invested still in, you know, all the testing procedures they need to go through when they implement a feature, you know, they create an entity, I'm sure they've got to run through a, you know, 100,000 unit test to make sure things all worked and, you know, takes takes resources, resources cost money and, you know, money prevents, you know, new features from getting implemented or broken things from being fixed. So at some point you just need to, you know, wash your hands of it and, you know, cut and run, so to speak. Yeah, it's a good thing they, they marked this as deprecated though, because now, I mean, people are talking about it as as you and me are, are talking about it here or now. Right, and exactly. And if you done if you didn't bring attention to it, people are gonna continue to do you know, continue in their their way of doing things because I mean, you see a lot of people will, you know, they'll write some some boilerplate code for something, and you know, for making a HTTP request, and that's still a reuse. But it, you know, at some point they have to realize that oh, maybe we need to maybe we need to change our boilerplate code and go to the you know the Web API version or something and carry that forward as opposed to just you know reusing the things we've already done because if nobody is talking about it, nobody would ever really know any better unless you really like you or I, where we're kind of keep an eye on the, the Microsoft news or you know, what's changing in the in the platform because most, you know, I think most, you know, quote-unquote casual CRM, you know, developers or users aren't going to aren't gonna pick up on that sort of thing right away. No, not until it's just gone. Exactly. That, that's how people, yeah, we turn it off and people start screaming. That's how you figure that out. Yep, when they have to, when they test on their upgrade and then their code works and then, you know, their, their upgrade takes, you know, considerably longer all of a sudden when they have to do all these code rewrites yeah it's it's just another six months to to change all the code (laughs) instead of two weeks so i mean at least by doing this now i mean you know specifically in this case now we you know if people are on you know they're on 2016 you know and they have you know lots of the 2011 javascript written you know there's no reason they can't start you know slowly upgrading their code and testing it, you know, so you don't have to necessarily rush all at once to, you know, upgrade thousands of lines of code and test thousands of lines of code changes. I mean, you can do it, you know, you can do it a little more leisurely now that we have some advanced warning. Trying to go back here to, to the REST builder here. We, we just brushed through this a little bit. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the capabilities and what I can do with it? Sure. So once you, like I said, it's a it's a managed solution that you install into your environment. So typically, this is something you install in like a, a dev environment. It it doesn't. There's no dependencies that it carries forward into you know testing or production environments. It's strictly for development. So um, it's a managed solution that you install. Um, once you once you open the tool up, um, it'll install like a command bar button for it. Uh, once you open it up, it'll You'll, you'll see the screen processing and really what it's doing right away when it loads up for the first time it's reading kind of your your entity metadata the tool will work in anything from 2011 all the way up to current versions of you know CRM 2016 8.2 um, obviously in the, the 2011 13 and 15 environments we, we don't have web API um, ultimately the code base is still the same under the hood it just doesn't expose any of the web API stuff um, so right it's root level it'll read through all your all your metadata it'll read through all your entities all your field names um, and it'll give you you know for the 2011 endpoint it'll give you the ability to generate javascript code to create read individual read query multiple sets of records update or delete or associate and disassociate um, different entities so that's essentially we'll we'll generate javascript code for all the different actions that were ever supported in the 2011 endpoint it can output javascript code in you know like a standard just basic xml http request it can export it or generate it in, in using jquery um, and a number of other the, the the helper libraries that came with the sdk and there was another couple um, community libraries that it supports um, for, for generating code so like I said, it's really quite easy to use. So someone that's, you know, not even a hardcore JavaScript developer can, you know, generate the code quite easily just by going through the, the UI. And, you know, if you want to create an entity, you know, you pick you pick the entity you want to create, it'll it'll give you, start giving you drop-down lists of what, what field you want to set. Um, you know, you pick like, you pick like account, it'll give you a drop-down list of all the fields. You pick like name, it'll give you a text box to put in the name. And then you pick the number of employees, it'll give you a text box where you can enter the, you know, value for a number of employees. You, you can do all that. 
hit the generate code button um, and it'll it'll spit out the JavaScript code for you. Uh, if you want to test it right in the browser, you can hit the execute button. Uh, it'll execute that code, um, you know, and, and you know, retrieve records, create records, delete records, anything you have, anything you've you've come up with. Um, you can you can kind of go. There's an editor mode on on the on the tool, so you can kind of edit the code on the fly. Um, you know, can, for things that are kind of queries, you, it'll display the output, uh, like the JSON data, response data that was returned from the request, so you can kind of see see what was returned. Um, again, in qu query situations, it'll it'll stub out the JavaScript, uh, you know, variables to to capture the returned values based on what you've queried. Um, so you don't necessarily have to even go as far as examining, you know, the JSON response um, to a lot of extent to figure out, you know, what you know, how you, you know, getting collections of values or things like that. It should it should handle all that for you. So you really just have to generate the request and then you know, handle the response and, and put insert your own code on what you want to do after the response comes back. Copy paste buttons. You can easily just copy it out to the clipboard and paste it in something. So that could be really handy if you're not sure what you're getting back and you want to know what attributes are there exactly. for you. So when you go back to your JavaScript code and you don't really have good intelligence today on what the objects are returning, so you can use that and so you can look at the JSON, oh, it's that and that and that attribute on the objects and you can just... Right. Some some limitations, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you, if you select, you're going to query all, uh, you know, all attributes, which you should never do, by the way, but if you did do that, um, it doesn't, it's not going to stub out variables for you at that point is but if, if you've discreetly selected fields for selection it'll figure out you know how to get those out of the response for you so you don't have to think about it too hard like I said the web api capabilities are you know i don't think the, i don't think i'll ever build the tool you know so deep that it does every single piece of functionality that web api does some of it some of it's a little bit redundant sometimes i mean being able to delete uh you know, a, a field by, you know, by, you know, in the URL for you know, version of the, the request is probably not something I'd build as opposed to if you just did an update, for example, and know about the field is, is something. But uh, Web API will do all the same functionality, all the same CRUD actions, associate and disassociate, but it also will again, like, give you the ability to execute actions and functions, um, let you do things like, uh, what I'm, I'm just working on adding in now in the next version, being able to use um, alternate keys for re retrie uh, retrieving data and updating and deleting data, upsert capability. It'll track things like you're using the, the e tags that come back in the header to, to detect if data has changed um, between requests. You can you can you can see that. So again, if you're again thinking in like mobile scenarios where you're where every where every byte of data kind of counts when it's going over the wire, you know sometimes you can. You can make a request, and if it returns this, you know, no no data change, you can, you know, hopefully you've cached what you've saved before, and you can eliminate scenarios where you're passing extra data over the wire. No, it, it like I said, I've, the next version I'm planning on release in the next, you know, week or so, it should it should handle most most capabilities of the what's available in Web API right now. I, I've also added in the ability to some some flags to turn on the you know, return record on creator update that was new in 8.2 um so like I said, it's it's should be fairly capable i mean it should should get you know 90 percent of you know probably better than 90 percent of things you need for your day-to-day -day development done and at some point i might add in um querying metadata because um, that's kind of a whole nother animal to tackle um, which which can be useful in a lot of cases if you're dealing with trying to get like option set values or you know things like that that aren't normally exposed through you know through entity data per se. And and you published all of the code here on GitHub and and this is open source so if I really want a feature, I could actually pull request. <laughs> I could actually or at least. This, open a pull request and discuss it with you and then implement it just don't go implement it on your own please right yeah i mean if it, i mean i'm definitely i mean if anybody wants to I mean look at my terrible code and you know help implement a feature you know i'm all for it or even if it's even if you don't feel like you know maybe 
maybe you're not really, you know, a developer per se, or in, but you just maybe can you know can use the tool, but you think it could use a different feature. Um, you know, I'd encourage you definitely to go on the the GitHub page on the issues area, and you know, again, just suggest a feature. I'm, you know, if it's a if it's a good idea, I'll I'll put it in there if I can find time. Yeah, and I mean, if there are a lot of issues, do do I mean you wouldn't say no to people helping out, right? No, I mean nobody nobody's participated in in this tool, um, but I've, on some of my other projects, I've actually had some contributions on. So as long as it's you know, as long as it makes sense, and it as long as it makes sense, I'm I'm all for it. I'm all for using it. You don't want a tool to make everything, but as long as it fits in this CRM REST builder, then it's probably a good thing. Perhaps it's not priority one, perhaps it's a little bit further down, but uh, I mean, if you you are a developer and you want to ha- hang out or, or help out, I mean, <laughs> help out, uh, that's of course valuable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I mean, even if you don't, you know, even if you don't want to help, I mean, if you, you know, the one thing I would say is if you, you know, if you are a developer and it, you maybe you want to figure out how something was done, um, certainly, you know, the code's all out there, so you can, you know, figure out how something was done. How did I, how did I look at the metadata? How did I do, you know, this, that, or the other thing? So it's all out there. So even if you don't, you know, even if you don't want to contribute, that's fine. But you can always use it for a learning tool for yourself to figure out, you know, how something was done. That's kind of the the beauty of. Um, you know, stuff that ends up on GitHub. Do you feel that we missed anything here today, Jason? Um, no, I think, I mean, we I think we had a, you know, pretty good discussion, actually. Um, I think we've covered covered quite a few topics. Um, i trying to think if there's anything else kind of worth mentioning. Where can we see you next? Uh, do you have any public speaking or an event that you will go to and talk to? Um, nothing on the books right now. I mean, about the only thing, I'm sure I'll be at uh, CRMUG Summit in Nashville next October, I'm sure. But uh, like I said, nothing set in stone just yet. But uh, I mean, otherwise, I'm you know trying to do stuff with the, the CRMUG online, sometimes doing some webinars and stuff like that, um, you know, answering questions when I can. But uh, no, I'm around. It's like if you need to get hold of me for something, uh, you know, like I said, I think my, my info is up on GitHub. So if anybody needs to contact me, that's a good place to start. Okay, thank you for participation in Serum Rocks, Jason Latimer. Thanks for having me. And thanks to you who are listening. And don't forget that you can subscribe to Serum Rocks. Just search for it in your favorite podcasting app and it will be right there. See you next time on Serum Rocks.